The 356 The first car that is instantly recognizable as a Porsche has had several variations during its lengthy manufacturing run and was the underestimated success of Ferry Porsche. There is the Pre-A, A, B, and C types, the T5 and T6 among others. Then there is the rare and beautiful Gmund. Even though I have driven the 356, I didn't really know what was what. So I decided to go back to school, do some research, and learn the ABCs of the Porsche 356. Welcome to Porsche, never substituted. I'm your host, Will Veach, and today we'll take a look at the car that arguably started it all. This is part one of our look into the different iterations of the 356. Just north of the Italian border lies a little town in Austria named Gmund. In that sleepy little village was where Ferry Porsche, with his sister Louise, started manufacturing cars under the Porsche name. In order to really talk about Gmund in 1948, you have to turn back the clock a bit and talk about Stuttgart during the Second World War. In fact, you can even go back a little further than that when in 1916 the aviators of the era started to target Stuttgart in part because of their proximity to the Western Front and not the least of which, the Daimler plant. So Stuttgart was on the radar, both figuratively and literally, since World War I. It came as no surprise that the Allies bombed the region heavily starting in 1940, with Bosch, Daimler-Benz, and Porsche all having manufacturing and engineering facilities there. Starting from May of 1940, for about four years, some 53 air raids were conducted, dropping a total of 27,000 tons of bombs consisting of 20,000 high-explosive bombs and 1.3 million incendiary devices. Now, a not-so-fun fact is that there are estimated to be roughly 12,000 unexploded devices still within Stuttgart. So what does all this history have to do with Gmund? Well, because of the destruction and danger of working in Stuttgart, Ferdinand Porsche decided to move to the Austrian town in 1944. He did so very quietly. So quietly, in fact, that when the Allies were roaming the streets of the Carinthia region after the Germans had capitulated, they had no reason to suspect they would find anything of note in the sleepy town of Gmund. According to Karl Ludwigsen, several citizens of the Austrian village suggested that the Allied troops take a look at the tiny sawmill located at the end of town. What did the Allies find? Well, besides the sawmill and several buildings, they discovered a large assortment of vehicles, including various models of the VW People's Car that was ordered by Hitler. There were also various sports cars, racers, military vehicles, and other vehicular oddities. But surprise, surprise, there was also the small but effective engineering firm of one Porsche KG and its lead engineer, none other than Ferdinand Porsche. What were they working on so quietly in Gmund? Well, peacetime implements such as tractors were a small portion of what the engineers were working on. But Porsche KG had also been working in Gmund for nearly six years with nearly 300 men manufacturing and engineering the people's car, of course, and other vehicles for the German army. According to Porsche, the conditions in Gmund were less than ideal. For the employees, space in the barracks was extremely tight, and workers had barely enough space to move between the lathes. For a short period of time, the Porsche factory, if you could call it that, was in the sawmill at Gmund, Austria, 
a town barely 25 miles north of the Italian border. If you search for the town on the internet, the first option you get is Gmund in northern Austria. Well, that's not it. It's Gmund in the southern mountainous region of Austria, in the central eastern Alps. Just a little tidbit for you. Gmund today has a population of about 1,500. Go look at the pictures. Beautiful doesn't begin to describe it. Currently in the little town is a privately owned Porsche museum that you can see a massive variety of Porsches at the little sawmill. I'll drop a link to it on the Never Substituted website. In 1945, Ferdinand Porsche, Anton Piesch, which was Porsche's son-in-law, and Ferry Porsche were all arrested for trumped-up war crimes, and they were eventually exonerated of any of those crimes. For two years, Piesch and Ferdinand Porsche were held in France, but were finally freed in 1947 and then cleared in 1948. Ferry, however, was released and cleared after just six months, and while Piesch and Ferdinand Porsche were still being held, Ferry teamed with his sister Louise to form a company in Austria to manufacture cars under the Porsche name. During this time, Ferry was quoted as saying this very famous quote, In the beginning, I looked around and could not find the car that I dreamed of, so I decided to build it myself. To fund the eventual 356 and keep the company afloat while things played out with his father, Ferry and the fledgling company designed agricultural equipment such as tractors, cutting fingers, and cable winches. Porsche also had a contract to construct the Italian race car called the 360 Cisitalia that provided much-needed funds. That car is sometimes referred to as the Porsche Type 360 and had a supercharged flat 12 engine that produced a massive 300 horsepower and had a top speed of 186 miles per hour. Porsche has the single-seater Type 360 Formula One car in their museum in Stuttgart. Sadly, that car never raced, as the Italian company liquidated in 1949 due to rising costs and the fact that supercharged engines were now banned from Formula One for the 1952 season. At that time, Porsche had an amazing and talented engineer and designer named Erwin Comenda. Working with Ferry Porsche, Comenda helped to develop the 356 No. 1, which was the mid-engine genesis for the Porsche brand. The number 1, according to Porsche, was, quote, from a technical perspective, not much to write home about. An aluminum body hammered over a lattice tube frame and the axles, steering, wheels, and brakes that all originated from the VW Beetle, as did the 1.1-liter engine that produced just 35 horsepower. However, the engine needs to move just over 1,200 pounds of vehicle weight and had a maximum speed of at least 83 miles per hour. End quote. That car is also in the Porsche Museum in Stuttgart. You can listen to a little more about that in our episode on Mid-Engine Madness. During the same time that the 356 number 1 was built, and I mean literally 1 as in a complete one-off, work on the 356-2 was shaping up. The Gamund factory took the boxer engine from the number 1 and increased its output to 40 horsepower, and the mid-engine was moved to the rear. That move made space available for a couple of little jump seats as well as room for some luggage. The 356-2 also ditched the tubular frame for a unitary steel tub and was overlaid with a famous aluminum body. Those hammer-formed aluminum bodies were too time-consuming and costly for the small Gamun factory to produce, so they were outsourced to various companies throughout Switzerland. 
Manufacturing materials, such as the ever-important aluminum, were very difficult and expensive to come by, except for the Swiss. So although the cars were engineered and assembled in Gmund, Austria, the bodies were made in Switzerland. While researching the 356, I also came across a photo of a Gmund with little bits of what looked like yarn fastened to the body. Now, I knew that that was how car companies tested aerodynamics in the early days, but I found it very interesting that this design of Erwin Comenda's never saw the inside of a wind tunnel. The engineers and designers kind of took it in stride that the body of the 356, which was produced from years of experience with race cars and other production cars, would of course be aerodynamic. In fact, the 10th 356 coupe that was manufactured was taken to a long stretch of road outside of Gamund where it had bits of wool taped to the left side of the body. There, it was photographed from a bridge as it zoomed down the straight. Ferry Porsche said this about the experience, quote, We took photos of the car in motion from the bridge to see if the tufts laid smoothly against the surface, and they did, close quote. With the financial help of Swiss entrepreneur Ruprecht von Singer, who paid for the first 50 cars, manufacturing for 44 coupes and 8 cabriolets got underway in the winter of 1948 until the end of production in Gmund, Austria in 1950. There were, however, three versions of the car. The coupe, cabriolet, and I am American, so coupe, I mean, we could say coupe, either way, and the cabriolet, and then the very rare 356 SL. The SL was the race variation of the 356, of which less than 10 are known to exist. The SL stood for super leaked, and they were light and fast-ish at the time. The coupe and cabriolet models had a top speed of 85 miles per hour, with the engine, as I stated earlier, producing about 40 horsepower. The 350 SL was actually built for the 1951 24 Hours of Le Mans. Porsche took a 356 aluminum coupe instead of the steel versions that they were now producing in Stuttgart and entered two of them in the race. The first car crashed during practice and was unable to race, but the second raced and won its class for the 1.1-liter cars. That's astounding. The lightweight SL had an output of 46 horsepower from its flat-four boxer engine and had a top speed of around 100 miles per hour. In fact, another one of the 356 SLs managed an average of 94 miles per hour over a 24-hour period. As the cars were being released to the public, the press had mixed reaction to the Gamun Porsches. After the 1949 Geneva show, one member of the press said that the Porsche was, quote, one of the smartest little cars in the show. It goes extremely fast for its power, both on mountain roads and on the straightaway, where the high top gear allows speed to build up to a claimed maximum of 85 miles per hour, end quote. These Gamun cars were built from 1948 through 1952, although Porsche officially moved back into Germany in 1949. The cars sold okay. The projections were for about 150 cars, and only about 60 were ever produced. According to Haggerty, one in just good condition is about a million dollars. That said, it was the beginning of greatness that Ferry Porsche did not envision. He felt as though his 356 would sell about 500 cars when it was all said and done. He underestimated just a bit. The final total for the entire 356 run through 1965? Just shy of 78,000 cars. Thanks for listening. Please share and tell your friends, family, and fellow Porsche lover. 
I also want to hear from you. I'm collecting Porsche stories for future podcasts and would love to hear how your love affair with Porsche began. You can email us at stories at neversubstituted.com. Please support our podcast by going to neversubstituted.com and check out our shop links and some very cool stuff, plus a preview of next week's show. Also, follow us on Instagram at neversubstituted. Special thanks to Dennis Schrader Photography in Austin, Texas. You can see some amazing automotive prints and artwork at fastlanephotoworks.com. Much of the information from this podcast is from Porsche, Excellence Was Expected by Carl Ludvigson. I'm Will Veach. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope to see you again soon.